Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we interview thought leaders and entrepreneurs and business leaders on the latest thinking in business. We cover topics such as leadership, tech, entrepreneurship, economics, and subjects like finance. Uh, you can listen to the podcast on YouTube and the usual platforms. Uh, please leave a review. Uh, we will be eternally grateful. Um, you can follow us on social media. And of course, you can subscribe to the magazine too. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. And in this episode, we look at the role of universities. In today's world, where there's a spectrum of channels available for learning, we ask, are universities still relevant? Professor Alex Subic, who's the Vice-Chancellor of Aston University, gives us an insight into the importance of universities, not just for learning, but for innovation, and just as importantly, for the importance of its location in its community. So let's pop over and have a listen to Professor Alex Subic. Alex, good morning. Good morning. Uh, well, firstly, thank you for taking time out. And, and for those of you who may watch this in months uh, in the future, um, it's the 22nd of December. And I was so impressed when the email came back, Alex is available on the 22nd, when the perception is most people have disappeared. So thank you for taking time out to meet me on the 22nd of December. Um, and, and, and for those of you who are... Uh, new to Aston University and, and to Alex. So Alex Subic, uh, you're born in Serbia, uh, went to Australia. Actually, you've got a pretty international profile, which we'll go through a bit later. You're now the Vice-Chancellor and the CEO of Aston University, which is where we're sitting. It's a great view outside, which is in Birmingham. Uh, as I said, you've worked globally. Uh, you worked for the Australian or the Prime Minister's Australian task force which took you into Europe so you got a good idea of how Europe works interesting you're an academic who specializes in and we'll probably tackle this a bit later industry 4.0 which will be really interesting in terms of where industry and enterprise and this country goes Um, you've been here four months the weather's a bit gloomy and I'll be interested if I get time to ask you later about the ashes and the cricket because that's coming up soon I think next summer so so welcome and good morning, Alex. Good morning, pleasure to be here. And it's 22nd of December, 2022. Should mention that because you never know. You're right, it could be, could be a century down the road. You never know. So, so thank you. Look, um, universities are a, a bit of a black box to many people. Um, they, they see these great buildings. They know that they churn out graduates. And, and, and a lot of people question the value of a university education uh, some people say well not quite sure how universities are connected to business but where do universities sit in in your in your in your eyes in the ecosystem of learning by the way I, i've got to declare my interest i did my mba here so Good choice. I, yeah so i'm a fan of aston university i am a fan of undergraduate and postgraduate i think there's so much you can learn but there are people who challenge the notion of university so explain where do universities sit in the ecosystem of learning then Alex over to you obviously I have a lifelong love affair with university sector and I might come across a little bit biased but I like to base my opinions my views on on evidence on research on facts uh, and, and I've done a fair bit of work in this area if you look at some of the most successful innovation ecosystems around the world you will find that universities were the catalyst of progress and development in all of those successful innovation ecosystems. There is something special about universities. In some sense, they also resemble the society in which they exist because of the diversity of students, the staff, the partnering, collaboration. So they're almost like the microcosm of the society they exist in. But having said that, they also bring something new, something special, that secret source to the society because they drive new ideas, they're catalyst of change. They tend to also challenge the usual, the business as usual, and, and, and the norms. And this is why they are a catalyst of change and progress, especially when they work in synchrony and in partnership 
with business industry and community, which I will talk more about uh, during our interview. So I also wonder often, you know, that name university, where that comes from. And I personally like to relate that to universality of ideas, of cultures, of beliefs, of, of relationships, of, 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 of things that drive positive impact. And everything starts with the universality of ideas. So I, I think that's quite, that's quite a good description of a university. And, and you, you mentioned about that it's an important place um, Universities, if you look at the most successful cities and the most successful, and I'm going to use the word places, there's always a quite a key university in place. So how important is a university to a place in terms of, I mean, I know I, I looked at some figures, um, £200 million turnover, you employ in excess of 2,000 people. There are 16,000 students that go through these doors, undergraduate, postgraduate, it's an important institution for, for, the import, for, the, for the place. How important is a university for place? I think that's a wonderful question. Uh, you will find that there's an increased, increased I think, uh, realization that place-based innovation and place-based impact are important drivers of economic growth and prosperity in a society. And if we look at it from that point of view, as you've put it, universities that are related to a particular place and with their space. They are positioned strategically to drive change in that place. So if we look at, I mean, and I've had experience in previous universities in Australia, in Melbourne, outside of uh, Australia, I've set up office you know, in the West Coast US and Silicon Valley. I've partnered and had a base in Germany as well through my work. If I look at all of those places of innovation and prosperity, the university was the main catalyst, together with other stakeholders, in driving that innovation and prosperity in that place, in creating you know, benefits for the local society, in transforming lives by transforming access and skills. So, as you put it, universities are critical drivers of place-based innovation and place-based prosperity. And that place where they are embedded also, in turn, shapes the universities in terms of the type of organizations they are, the culture they have, and about their commitment to the local environment. We were chatting earlier. Um, you mentioned you'd spent some time, again, we're sticking with place for the moment, in Silicon Valley. Uh, and, of course, the outside perception is, oh, well, tech did it themselves. But actually, when we look at the Silicon Valley, there are a lot of stakeholders in place who helped to get it to where it is. Is that, is that an example? You, you, you spoke about California being one of the five top economies in the world. So how important were universities in, in almost formulating or bringing the tech sector to where it is? That's something that, that uh, I've been passionate about. I focused most of my career uh, uh, trying to understand and, and in some way trying to emulate and, and, and transfer and improve in my settings where I led particular institutions and particular strategies. Uh, and West Coast US is one of them. I've also, uh, I've also in depth reviewed some of the similar ecosystems in Europe as well as in Asia, in Asia as well, India as well as China. Uh, what you will find when you, when you really go deep forensically to understand how those most successful innovation ecosystems have emerged, you will find that a number of important ingredients came to play and are integrated. One of them obviously is this strong educational system, especially around science, technology, enterprise, innovation. Without that, you don't have the platform because that provides skills, provides talent. It is a, an attraction point for international talent, both in terms of students, in terms of staff. Then. You look at the community, the society, the, the lifestyle, the way of living, the financial system, the access to VC funding, the, the access to support and maturity in terms of intellectual property, commercialization, translation. You know. So all of those moving paths need to be in synchrony, need to be brought together to create that secret source, to create a platform 
for a, for a successful innovation ecosystem. And you've pointed quite rightly now, that, that technology innovation in this day and age is one of the key drivers of economic growth because it is one of those high value add activities, endeavors. We live in a technology rich world. Advances in technology are measured in weeks these days mm -hmm. rather than years and decades as in the past. They are a catalyst for change and prosperity in almost every sector in economy and society. Uh, again, if I just stick to Silicon Valley and I stick to tech, um, one of the successes in the States is the amount of spin-outs they have. Would you say that's where the UK hasn't been as prolific as maybe other countries that we haven't? So we get all this IP, we get all these fantastic ideas in the most fantastic universities in the UK, but translating that commercially, partnering, partnering up, I know Oxford do quite well, but, but do, you, do you think we should be doing more with spin-outs? And, and for those who don't know, spin-out is where an idea is generated within a university campus or a university setting, and then they exploit it commercially, and that's a, a, a successful spin-out. Do, do you think the UK is not quite... I think uh, UK is probably not alone. I mean, that has been a, a problem in Australia for many years, and it's being systemically now addressed. While there are good examples around the world, we mentioned US, and it's not just anymore West Coast US, it's also the area around Boston with the Boston <coughs> Health and MedTech Hub, but also Toronto area is evolving. I, I know that you know, in, in Switzerland and Germany, there are hubs and universities that are, that, are, that are making significant inroads in this area. However, uh, there are also many you know, university ecosystems like the UK one that need to evolve and get better at this. Uh, clearly, the first step is driving spin-outs and driving that translation of great research out of universities into the commercial world. However, it's not enough. And this is where, this is where I think UK education system is, is yet to achieve progress, whereby instead of measuring the number of startups, we need to measure the number of scale-ups and the number of exits. If you look at some of the most successful uh, universities in the world in terms of research translation and commercialization you know and you might look at MIT you might look at Stanford you might look at the Wiseman Institute or some other su successful commercialization uh, uh, institutions you will find that they no longer measure as measure of success in innovation the number of startups or numbers they, they, they are measuring the scale-ups they're measuring the exit they're measuring how many of their companies, whether that be alone or in partnership, have actually reached the New York Stock Exchange or some others. You know, this is the measure of success. So therefore, when I work with, 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 with my colleagues in the innovation ecosystems around the world, you will find that most of them will agree that no longer you know, is startup a difficult thing. We say startup is easy, scale up is hard. Yeah. So that capitalization, monetization of innovation is the challenge that we yet need to address in UK, but also in Australia, where I came from as well. Um, so the UK, and I think it's no different this area here, um, is comprised largely of SMEs, 95% or something. So what you've spoken about there is uh, little businesses that spin out, then scale up, and then potentially IPO. So that's uh, on stock markets. But how can, how can universities work with companies other than that? So these are small micros or small SMEs. Because I always get the impression, and I'm not talking about Aston, just generally, there seems to be a disconnect between SMEs, so not your text, but SMEs, manufacturing and retail. There doesn't seem to be that joint up, generally university between SMEs. How, how can we improve that? How, how can we get better outcomes? I think... Uh and you know the industry sector that I came from in Australia, especially the one that, that, that I've been involved in heavily over the last decade or a couple of decades, in particular also through the Prime Minister's Industry for Zero Task Force. Uh, the manufacturing sector in Australia also involves around 95% of SMEs. Okay. So when I came to UK and the whole West Midlands area, I see a very similar ecosystem, many SMEs, right? Many of them successful, some of them struggling, some of them will struggle in the future because if you don't scale up, uh, mm. you will struggle. If you don't yeah. access 
global value chains, international markets, you will struggle, whatever the, the domain of their endeavor is. Uh, what I've spent a fair bit of my career, especially the last decade, doing uh, as an institutional leader, university leader, and working with government, working with business, I call this the triple helix approach, university, government, business. The triple helix approach is really something I've, I've evolved to believe strongly and, and something I've been embedding in the respective strategies wherever I led, is that, that basically you need to work in particular ways to cluster, to bring together SMEs around common areas of interest or common areas of needs. Because if you're trying to address each and every individual SME uh, requirement or ask, it is very difficult and it's not strategic. And I usually say life is too short to achieve an impact in that way. However, approaching it strategically, whether that be around a common need to develop digital skills or a common need to develop business innovation and business modeling skills, clustering SMEs together around common purpose, common areas of interest, and working in that way at scale is really something that's quite impactful and it works in practice. And, and that's something that here at Aston University we will be doing around our areas of focus and strength because that's how we achieve impact at scale. And the focus must be around developing capability, developing standards, capacity for those SMEs that we work with to successfully access global value chains, to successfully become part of supply chains of big players, because that's the way for them to access new value, to create new value and to basically prosper and grow, because they must grow if they're going to succeed in the future. So I'm now going to say something which will sound a bit peculiar. Um, so universities, from my, my experience, are brilliant at collaboration. Fantastic. In fact, they're better than any other sector I know. Um, you know, Mark Smith, as we know, when I spoke to him about the Business Influencer magazine, he immediately said, let's get other universities involved. And that's just, that's just pure. And you just don't find that in the sector. So a couple of things. So if the universities are used to working in collaboration, it's part of their DNA, which is really good. And if we then take Birmingham and the West Midlands, so just think of the place, so you've got the universities working collaboration, you've got a big place, 2.3 million people in the West Midlands. You've got SMEs, which you've just said are, if we can get them around clusters of ideas, so you've got SMEs sitting over there. What we don't appear to have is somebody who puts an, an umbrella right around it and get them all working together. It just seems very fragmented. Now, I'm sure that's not just for this region. I think yes. that's everywhere. Um, and, and so how can we copy or replicate the way universities work collaboratively and bring that across the wider region so everybody can start to think the way? Because that is something I do see with universities. You don't see that competitive edge. There is an edge there, but it's a, it's a really good tension. Everybody's trying to do better than the others. But you all do work very well together. So how can we get that across and make this whole ecosystem work better? Do you think, can we do anything? Or is it broken beyond, uh, beyond repair? I, th I, think the, I think you've just pointed to, to, I would say, in my view, one of the most important uh, ingredients of success in this sector and across the society, and that's collaboration. Yeah. Collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. Uh, Although I think you, you've been very positive about universities collaborating, I believe that they can also do more and better, and they need to, and, and especially by letting the outside in. Yeah. You know, uh, we here at Aston, in our 2030 strategy, will build on that DNA of Aston, which is a collaborative spirit, collaborative culture, but also a university that was born out of industry and community, which is something that I think is special. Yeah. I always felt that I fit best at universities that were born out of society and industry and business to provide that new value to that broader community. Uh, that's Aston. Now, by, by the default, that DNA makes you collaborative and makes you more open. Uh, so I think the, 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 the heritage, the legacy, the, the history of the place, and you mentioned place-based institutions yeah. and innovation, in a way defines you if, you if you build on that. 
Now, going back to your question in terms of how do we create a more collaborative ecosystem that, that, that by working together, that, that triple helix I mentioned, enables us to achieve value and move beyond our individual institutional competitive edge, right? I think that takes effort and it starts from leadership. The leaders across the, the diverse sector institutions, whether that be you know, the local government, the city, the, the industry, the universities, you know, the, 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 the professional services that, that underpin them and support them, the leadership has to put an effort to connect. But also, government incentives, city incentives, institutional incentives, university incentives for their own staff must be aligned with those behaviors that we expect, which is the behaviors of collaboration. And when we say collaboration, we need to take that dialogue a step further because it's about collaboration leading to outcomes that are of mutual benefit, which means that everybody in that collaboration, all the key players, the key stakeholders, must benefit from that. It's not one-way traffic. So we have to put effort to understand together and, and, and identify together what that value is for each of those stakeholders. That takes effort, right? Because collaboration doesn't just happen by default. It has to happen by design. And it has to happen by us trusting each other to, to share with each other what is important to each respective organization, what is, what is important to us individually as leaders. What do we want to achieve together as a common purpose, but also what do we want to achieve through that collaboration for our respective organizations? That dialogue, that mature adult dialogue that's built on trust, I think is something that's important. And that's why I always say a cornerstone, a platform for good collaboration is mutual trust. Um, so obviously uh, you've mentioned three things, universities, government and business need to work together. So government, uh, well we're hoping they're still going to stick to it, um, government, government have long argued that this country needs to level up. So it can't rely on just the south, east outperforming. Um, we've talked about place, the importance of place, we've talked about the importance of universities in that place, working with business and, and other universities. Can it play a role in levelling up, if levelling up continues to move along? We're hoping to discuss it at a conference soon, but what role can universities play in levelling up? Uh, I think that universities uh, have a critical role to play in levelling up. And I think uh, levelling up is a wonderful concept which is yet to be fully realised, as we yeah. can see by evidence. You know, yeah. Since my arrival here, I found you know, that, that people's life expectancy is not defined by the genomic code. It's defined in many ways by the postcode. You yeah. know, that tells me that there's a lot of work yeah. to be done. And that's exactly at the heart of that levelling up question you mentioned. Universities can play a critical role, and they do play a critical role, by first of all providing access and also stimulating and motivating the broader population to pursue higher education. Because the pathway through education is the pathway to success and prosperity in, 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 in individual lives. Yeah. We only need to see the social mobility rankings or results nationally. You know, Aston, for example, as a second in the nation, second in UK, on social mobility, which defines how your graduates succeed post-graduation, coming out of a region, out of an area that's in the bottom half on social mobility. You can see the transformative power a university plays in shaping individual lives. Follow the data. The data doesn't lie. So, and that's about providing access, transforming lives through education, supporting students to achieve, to achieve success post-graduation, through employment, through enterprise building, through their own startups and enterprise and innovation, and connecting them to your industry partners and business partners in that journey, providing advice, keeping them connected to your university through life, and we call it Aston for Life, working with industry and business to support their innovation efforts so that I can create better products, better services, 
They are all avenues which we pursue to enable leveling up. However, universities can't do this alone, nor have universities been set up or funded to take that heavy responsibility for leveling up alone. You need to incentivize and support that effort. You need to provide financial as well as a regulatory and policy environment that actually supports that and makes it easy. That also makes it easy for business and industry to connect. That makes it easy for schools and community organizations to connect on programs of common interest, on programs of common purpose that achieve leveling up. This is the part that is not yet fully developed because universities are here. Universities are doing their bit. We need to now support that to scale up. It will be interesting how the government does pursue levelling up. And, 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 and interestingly, there's, it's interesting that the government believes in levelling up, the government believes universities... I'm going to avoid trying to get political here. And, the university, and, and they believe that universities play a critical role. But, you know, they've got a problem with overseas students. And, 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 and you know, and, and sometimes you do wonder whether ideology overcomes common sense. And, and so I completely agree with you. Obviously, students are important. They bring in a wealth of talent. But more importantly, from a business perspective, they bring in a lot of money, not just for universities, but for the local, um, well, local place, the place itself, or the local cities or towns. Yeah, so it's, it will be a place to watch. And as I said, there's a, you know, you know universities, postgraduate. So if we get a chance, we might pick that up. I don't want to go too political. I, might, I might offer some comments about this because it's a, it's a very important topic yeah. to me. And, and, yeah. and I found it, I mean, to say the least, puzzling in terms yeah. of some of the headlines and some of the, yeah. some of the comments that I've read in the papers since arriving here about international students. I come from a, from a country in Australia, from an education system, from an industrial an economical system where international students and international university business was celebrated. We actually acknowledged and celebrated the universities as the third largest exporting industry sector in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And we've done everything to make the country friendly for international students, to support them, incentivize them, even most recently to increase the two-year post-graduation working visa to a four-year. And that was done strategically not just to attract more international students, but to address the skill gap. Yeah. Because they are all hard-working, motivated, intelligent young people who have advanced skills, who are eager to create a future and eager to contribute to respective industry sectors and businesses that I work in. We need to look at international students from that perspective. We have, in UK, university sector that's an extremely successful international business sector, more successful than majority of other industry sectors in UK. We need to celebrate that. We need to support it. The students here that come, they not only bring investment via their fees and via the money they spent on accommodation, food and local services and local yeah, businesses. That's right. They also bring that amazing diversity of culture, diversity of ideas that in a city like Birmingham, in a way resembles the amazingly diverse and inclusive culture of this city. So this is the place where they probably belong more than in many other places. And, and this is why Birmingham should be one of the main international cities in this country, and indeed in Europe. And we should be positioning it like that. Also, we are facing a serious skill gap, especially at advanced level, whether that be in digital skills or other tech skills, and so on. How do we address those, that skill gap? It has to be addressed through a portfolio approach. And a key, key element of that portfolio approach is really bringing international students, keeping them here longer, motivating them, and supporting them to contribute to our local economy. And I think if we look at it in a positive, constructive manner like this, I think we will then potentially overcome the desire to create short-term political gains while creating long-term damage to our economy. I think we need to reverse that. Oh, it's interesting. Well, I can now speak from personal experience. So when I did the MBA here many moons ago, uh, I remember there's about 30 students, of which five were UK-based, of which I was one. 
the rest were from all over the globe. Uh, they would be from um, Netherlands, Turkey, uh, America, Canada, lots of Europe. And interestingly, I still stay in touch with Sri Lanka. I remember Sri Lanka because I remember that a civil war and he was telling me what's going on. And I learned so much from those people in the room around culture, international trade. <clears throat> and I've stayed in touch with them since. And so I find it baffling. And, and you're absolutely right with the skills shortage, particularly around tech as well. You know, I, I know Birmingham as a city is now growing tech-wise, but there are there are areas, there are sectors that are crying for talent, and yet we're not letting them in. So I completely agree. I want to avoid the politics, but but it's it's so important if you're going to level up that you have the right people in the right place with the right jobs, exactly. doing the right things, and everybody around that ecosystem, the shops, the hotels, the accommodation, everybody benefits. Exactly. Anyway, well, that's well, it's tough to see how it goes. Right now, now let, let's. Um, I think we've done a good appraisal of the macro picture. Um, now let's look at you as a leader. This I think I mentioned earlier: two thousand staff, two hundred million pound turnover. So it's not small. Sixteen thousand students. Um, it's a big leadership role. What what took you into academia? I'm just surprised because I'm just looking at born in Serbia, went to Australia. I mean, you could have done anything. Why, why did you pick academia? And I must say, after graduation, I've spent I've spent time I've spent time in industry initially in industry as a young engineer, in a in a Swiss kind of branch company, you know, in in uh, Belgrade, uh, working on, as a young engineer developing my craft, and then it's the curiosity I think you know my curiosity and desire to pursue ideas and to pursue partnerships and to pursue challenge-based, mission-based kind of research career, I think took me to universities. And, and in turn, that took me to a global ecosystem where yeah. I you know, did research and spent some time in UK, Sheffield. I spent some time, did research in, in Germany and worked with you know, Technical University of Munich and some others, and obviously landed ultimately also in Australia the university career, the academic career, especially also the research career that initially took me there, has in a way opened the world to me. In a way, you start seeing yourself and your career as a global citizen. That actually, when you see that, that it's a borderless career and, and that impact you potentially can create has global impact. And I think that is the passion, that is the desire that drove me, I think, and kept me in academia. And obviously, my commercial kind of uh, DNA, you know, if I can say it like that, and, and passion for partnering with industry and business is something that I brought with me mm. into academia, and I think I've stayed, I've stayed faithful to that throughout these 35 years, I would say. Do you think, in view of your global experience, do you think leaders of ambitious businesses, whether it's a university or another SME, do you think they, they need to have a real good understanding of the global landscape? Because otherwise, right. back to your scale, IPO, I think right. it's going to be an essential part of your understanding. Absolutely. And we talked about the place-based innovation, place-based impact, but however, when you think about the economy, when you think about the university and higher education system, it is a global business. Right. And higher education system or ecosystem is a global ecosystem. So there's no such thing as just local. Right. So therefore, you really need to elevate, not just your ambition, but elevate your, your insight, your view, beyond that local plane, because that's the only way you can become competitive in this higher education sector. So if you really look at strategically around the world, the most successful universities, and I'm not thinking only about those sandstone ones that were traditionally established hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but the younger institutions, mm -hmm. the, the trailblazers now in the innovation ecosystem, you will find that I have committed to partnering with industry and business globally, to driving innovation globally, and that I have committed themselves to becoming globally relevant and being part of a global value chain. So when you start recruiting international students, or when you start working with global companies, or when you start participating in global league tables and rankings, you are global. Yeah. So you better get good at it. 
Yeah, because the competition isn't just around the corner. And we talked about the collaboration, but actually it's competing against. And of course, when you're employing talent, then you have to source that talent globally absolutely. because they absolutely. bring a different perspective when they absolutely. come and teach on your courses. So, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So why Aston University? I mean, you know, you've been around the world, looking everywhere. But, but why Aston University? What brought you here? What, why did you pick Aston? I always look for fit. You know, whether that, you know, the fit for myself, yeah. where I belong and where I fit, because if you fit, this is where you can prosper, grow, and we can, when you can achieve the greatest impact. I also look for fit when I'm recruiting people, yeah. whether they be staff or leaders and so on, because fit enables people to achieve their best. I felt that I fit here for a number of reasons. If you look at my background, the previous two institutions in Australia where I spent more than two decades leading in various roles and most recently as Deputy Vice-Chancellor and Vice-President at two institutions, they were both universities of technology. Institutions that have emerged in an environment built out of community, built out of industry and business, and becoming top universities in the world in tech innovation, in technology and impact domains. In fact, in the top 1% and top 2% in the world. So when I looked at Aston, Aston has the same DNA. It, it was established as an institute of advanced technology. It's mm. one of those quintessential, original UK universities of technology. That is its DNA. It was born out of the first industrial revolution, where Birmingham was the powerhouse of world's manufacturing during the first industrial revolution. What a story. I wanted to be part of that narrative where, as a leader of that institution, in one of the most diverse and inclusive environments in Europe, with more than 150 different cultures and ethnicities, with one of the youngest cities in Europe, What's not to like now? That's where I fit. They are all ingredients that can create a powerhouse of innovation in the higher education sector. That's my passion and my desire. In a place where I fit, where I belong, to commit my last trimester of my career to work with these wonderful people and lead this wonderful institution to become the powerhouse of innovation in the most diverse community in Europe and to contribute to economic growth, prosperity of this region. If I can achieve that, I've achieved my last trimester goal. Um, you speak with great compassion um, and, and you speak with great compelling sort of drive and you can sort of see, you can sort of feel it. But you are an organisation that is extremely complex um, where people are motivated by different things, uh, by different timescales. Um, you know, you've got people driving research, you've got people that are teaching, uh, you've got people that are trying to work with business. How do you drive from where you're sitting? How do you translate what you've just been saying? Brilliantly said, how do you drive that into the School of Pharmacy, you've got medicine, you've got all business, you've got law, you've got all of these various, I mean, it's a huge organisation with a huge number of course, courses, huge number of departments, and you've, you've got to remain commercial. You've got to be able to feed everyone. How, how do you do that sitting where you are with that sort of big macro picture? And let's not forget levelling up and the place. and it's Lots of stakeholders, colleges, schools, un other universities. You've got the councils, you've got national government, you've got probably all these statutory regulators, Whew. that looks a huge intrigue. How do you do it sitting where you are? I think uh, I've learned over the years, and, and I, in a way, I think it's also in my nature, but you learn over the years through your leadership, various leadership roles, and coming here in this role, you have to start with the people. You start with the people. And you create or co-create a common vision with the people you have a common vision that's not implanted, or a common strategy that's not implanted from outside, but it goes deep and builds on the DNA organization. You provoke the memory of what was initially intended when this wonderful institution was established. What was the intent? 
What was the hundred years intent? And you born, you give birth to that vision by building on that DNA. And you create and elevate slowly the ambition going forward. When you start with people and you create that vision and you start sharing a common ambition to do better, to be better, you're halfway there. And then you let the outside in. Because you have to let the outside in. Your industry, your business, your students, your community to share that vision and be part of that journey. Because you cannot do it alone. You cannot do it alone from the point of view of resources. You cannot do it alone from the point of view of capability and capacity. And you also cannot do it alone from the point of view of impact because universities don't create impact on their own. Universities work with your partners, with industry, business, community, so that they can create impact. So it means that then the last ingredient, we get back to the first point, is collaborate, 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 internally and externally. Um, I won't dwell on it because I've got a couple of other questions before we wrap up. Um, but you used the word I was going to ask you, but you beat me to it. <laughs> I was going to say, does it need a leader to be visionary? And you said it. And, and, and to make sure that people within the organisation understand that same vision and come along with you, but without a vision, and I think you've answered it anyway, it's virtually impossible to get people. It's impossible. And obviously, uh, I mean, I, I, I can add also that, you know, there are also some strategic systems kind of things you need to build in the organisation. Because in order to realise the vision, but also in order to be able to continually adapt and respond to changes and requirements in the external environment, apart from letting the outside in, you also have to, in a systemic, in a structured way, transform the organisation so that it becomes a learning organisation. So that we don't see change as change. We see change as learning. So the learning organisation doesn't anymore see change as a disruptive thing. It sees change as an opportunity to learn. So we get back to your first question, and the university is a learning organization. Learning has to apply to us as well, yeah. where we are ourselves a learning organization. I, I think, before I move on to the next, I, I think the bit that I picked up, and it's a great phrase, um, is letting people in. Yeah. And, and I think for too long, uh, universities, particularly those who have never been to one, often seen as a black box and they've never been let in or never been encouraged to come in um, I mean I'll give you an example I, I did a podcast here it was really funny It was um, so the guy I did the podcast with uh, was a gypsy multi-millionaire and he'd never been to a school, never got educated and his first question when he sat in the chair downstairs he said so what does this place do? a university and I said well I chose you to I chose this 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 university deliberately because I wanted you to see what a university looks like and then I explained to him what a university does and and, and he went oh right 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 and of course he could read or write uh, so that was just and that's why your words let people in uh, struck with me uh, so just a couple of a couple of quick questions we've talked about technology is blended learning and the new generation who learn in a different way is learning because of COVID we all had to adapt do you think that's changed forever now do you think the traditional route of learning which is to stack them up high in a, in a lecture theatre is that now gone are, are we now looking at a totally different way of teaching and of learning absolutely and I, I have I think uh, said this a few times over the last few years that one of, the, one of the positives that came out of COVID was that urgency to transform how we teach and learn. Mm. Because the, the commercial sector, the private sector, has undergone digital transformation you know, much before the COVID, COVID pandemic. The university sector was lagging behind. Mm. What we had to do out of necessity during COVID was in a very urgent, very speedy way, transform how we deliver, because there was no other way to deliver education. 
Now moving post-pandemic, we need to bring that to the next level. Not go back to pre-pandemic, but build mm -hmm. on the learnings during COVID. Because that's what the generation expects of us. They want access anytime, anywhere. They want flexibility. We should not use campus for just information dissemination. You can access information online mm. from some of the best sources in the world, not just from ourselves. We must transform the campus for experiential learning, for exciting collaborative learning, for work with industry and business on campus, for social interaction, relationship building, for experiences that you could never emulate or achieve online or at home and provide flexibility to the lifestyle that our students and the generations expect of us, but also to enable us all to benefit from the technologies that have evolved. Therefore, this is the new norm. There's yeah. no going back. No. Institutions that may choose to go back will be irrelevant. So therefore, we now need to stop, take stock and continue to evolve, continue to innovate using digital transformation as the platform. Uh, last couple of questions. Complex organization, multiple stakeholders. We've just talked about a fast moving sector. Three tips you would give to leaders who aspire to or who are running complex organizations, employing a lot of people operating in a global marketplace, what three tips would you give? And you said quite a few of them already, probably. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to, not to kind of repeat myself, but <clears throat> because you're putting an emphasis on complex, large organizations, yeah. in many ways global, right? That's right. You have to get the system right, because success doesn't happen just by default, and things just don't work well by default. You have to establish a systems approach, an organizational structure and way of working, that's agile, that enables and also motivates you know, innovation and translation, that makes collaboration, work and innovation easy. That's the internal park, internal, I would say, construction park that needs to happen. So that basically that way of working becomes the norm. I mentioned the learning organization uh, paradigm creating an organization, shaping it, so that it, it does evolve as a learning organization. Because how do you tackle ambiguity? How do you tackle complexity? How do you tackle disruption? How do we respond to the next black swan event, like yeah, the COVID that's right. pandemic event? If we are not agile, innovative, adaptive, if we are not a learning organization, we will face the same downturn, the same disruption with the next black swan event or the next dramatic change in the economic, economic or regulatory framework as we have in the past. So that is critical. Second, get your culture right. Because, and it's not just a slogan, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Get your culture right. And that's all about people and all about how we relate, how we collaborate, how we put values at the heart of our strategy. That's what I would say. So let's fast forward, and I don't know what that looks like. It could be five years, could be 10 years. And you've decided your time's up and you've done it. You've done what you had to do. And as you walk out through these doors of the Aston Business School, great school by the way, what will success look like for you? How will you know you've done a good job? Because a lot of leaders, um, I don't know if they do, I don't know if they've even thought about what their legacy would be. I mean, this is a fantastic university, as I said. My son got his degree here as well. Uh, um, and I've got my MBA from here. It's a brilliant university, plays a critical and a pivotal role in the region. And you're a custodian for the next few years. But what will success look like for you as you walk at those doors? Tough question. So, pay it forward. When I, when I walk away, I would, I would like to be able to say and see in practice that Aston University has become a globally significant 
university that's recognized widely for the tremendous positive impact it creates and is creating to industry, business and communities it serves, especially through science, technology and innovation. You know, we've um, time is up, but I'm just going to pick up on some of the things, almost like a summary. It's, it's a bit of a masterclass, actually. So, so we spoke about the ecosystem of learning. We talked about how universities improve outcomes. I think you great, gave a great case for leading innovation, thinking outside the box, and the universities play a pivotal role in that. I think sectors outside of education can a lot of learn about collaboration. We spoke about how universities collaborate really well. Uh, we've spoken about the role of universities in place and what it brings. Uh, we've spoken about letting people in, which was great and almost you could extend it to overseas students, but you know, letting people yes. in. Um, we, we've spoken about, you know, if if the universities get it right and they work with business well, then productivity will go up. But innovation is key because you've got to keep improving. Um, we've spoke about a lot of words, the skills gap. We've talked about places like the Silicon Valley and how that worked. And because you said, actually, there's three partners in this. There's universities, there's government and business. You've spoken about what the future looks like. You need to be agile. You talked about if in order to scale and to keep performing as somebody who has scaled, a systems approach. Equally, you may be systematic, but you need to be agile. Uh, and of course, the big one always for any business is how do you motivate innovation? And that's the role of a role of a leader. Uh, you're right. Uh, we may be sitting in a an organisation that teaches, but actually every organisation should be open to learning. So you've spoken about a learning organisation. Culture, so important when asked you, you know, this many people employed here, this many graduates, how do you, you know, take them on side and become commercial? You talked about vision. We've spoken about the supply chain, how education sits in there. International markets, I love the idea of cluster of ideas, getting people to cluster so that universities can work together. We've talked about fragmentation, that's what's holding it back. But if we can get that done, we've talked about scale-ups, start-ups, we've talked about spin-outs. And of course, we ended up with post-COVID. And of course, you talked about disruption, being adaptive, and above all, continue to learn every day. It's been fantastic. It's been a, a riveting podcast. Actually, so many stuff there that I think our editors will have a great day taking all the sound bites. There were so many of them. Thank you for your time. I'm going to wish you, you best. wish you best for the festive season and, and for the new year. And, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities to grab you again in the future and to see how Aston continues to develop. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure. Thank you.